and happy Father's Day. Please bow your heads before we start. Father, we ask that these words would fall upon us, lead us to a deeper understanding of you, help us to grow closer to you, give us the meaning of your word, and give us faith. So, today, we're going to take another look at a familiar piece of scripture, and that's going to be when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? We're going to try and see if there's more than meets the eye to these questions and statements. So let's set the stage. First off, Jesus has been crucified. He's died and resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples numerous times. And now seven of them have taken a fishing trip to the Sea of Tiberias. Peter, John, and five other other disciples are now on the boat. And they're fishing. They're not catching anything. Once again, Jesus shows up, unbeknownst to them, and gives them a tip on where to fish. Based on this tip, they catch 153 large fish. John, who loves to point out Peter when he knows more, tells him, hey, that's Jesus. Peter, true Peter style, has leapt from the boat and swam approximately 300 feet to shore. John, along with the other five disciples, have rowed to shore. However, they have a problem. 153 large fish in a net they can't land to shore. So Peter goes back and drags this net to shore. Now that in itself should be a hint. Peter's a rather strong individual. So when you go through your Bible and you're reading, I make it a practice to underline anything that will tell me more about these two groups of engagements. And this is one of them. So Peter lands this net by himself. And now they have a seaside fish breakfast. And Jesus is now talking to Peter. So, our scripture today is John 21, 15 through 23. That's the backstory. Here's the scripture. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you away where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, follow him, who also had leaned on his breast with his supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? Peter, seeing him, had denied him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come to you, what is that to you? Now, at the end there, there's something interesting, something we might overlook. 
is that rumors and gossip and worrying about other people within the church doesn't stand. It's nothing new. We're no worse than they were in that manner. It's a statement. Peter's just been told that he will live to old age because of Jesus. Does he need to get more worried about what will happen and how somebody else will be around? So just keep that in mind as you think about this. Now let's start at the beginning. Let's break it down and see if we can get some truth out of it. So Jesus asked Peter the first question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, Simon, son of Jonah, Jonah there actually means John. Does this hold any significance that he calls him that? The answer is probably yes, even though Jesus says, I say nothing that the Father doesn't tell me. And that means he doesn't say anything random. So we have to begin with the belief that there's tension and reasons that Jesus has used for these specific words. Now, in regards to the three I love you statements, I admit that many scholars today now believe that they are all exactly the same thing and no different from each other. Now, caution here. We shouldn't generally follow just the newest discoveries based on somebody's beliefs. It's not historically new information at that time. You see, most recent beliefs don't always reflect the time period. I like to look at the time period closely. In fact, if we say, go back to 2010, we ask the next question. Just a simple question. What is a woman? We get an answer based on genetics and biology. Yesterday, and no gender there. So we need to understand that words and language should be looking at, taken and looked at to mean what they were when they were used, not in today's current language, because things change. So Simon, son of Jonah, this is Peter's given name and his worldly property. Remember, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, the rock. And do you love me? Love here is agape. Now, there's several different words in Koine Greek for love that mean different things. In English, we only have love, and it means one thing. You can discern some things in the Greek. The three main ones you'll see in Scripture are agape, which is godly love, cherish, and it takes pleasure. It's generally seen as the most pure form of love. Then there's phylos. Brotherly or worldly love. This is where we get the city of Philadelphia. Baptist, Philo, the city of brotherly love. And then Eros. Eros would be your, your intimate love. That's where we actually get the word erotic from eros. It's not used here, but those are the ones you may see in the text. And at the end of the question, Jesus says, more than these. But who are, who is these? Is he talking about the world? Is he talking about the church? talking about the other disciples. This is probably important. Given the context, Jesus, in my opinion, is referring to the disciples, but I base this on the Last Supper conversation. We'll take a few looks at some different scriptures to see if you uh, follow my train of thought here. So in Matthew 26, 33 to 35, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made said to him, Assuredly, I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so all the disciples said to him. Mark 14, 29 and 30, before the discourse, Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, 
time on the list. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others bowed their heads. John 13, 37 to 38. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now Peter's made a statement that he will not back down. This is a man that loves the net and the shore. He's a strong dude. He's not used to backing down. It's also probably why he opens his mouth so quick. But people do as that. But it's Luke's account that I think really explains it well. Luke 22, 31 through 34. So then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Do you catch that? Jesus doesn't say, you won't die. He goes straight to the heart of possibly a prideful statement. He says, not only will you not die for me, not only once will you deny that you even know me, you're going to do it three times, even before me. So, I know it seems like I'm off the rails here, but hang with me. I'm going to caboose this theological timeline for just a moment. But I have a question. Are you like me? tend to have more faith when you're reading your Bible than you do when you're reading your life, or living your life. See, when we read these harrowing statements of faith, fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, when we read them, we have a tendency to think, I've even done this, and I've even done that. How can these people not believe and look to God? And yet, they were planning an event. We order pizza. Instead of clicking delivery, we click pickup. And then when we figure it out 10 minutes before the event, our life is over, the day is ruined, we lose our mind. In fact, the child may even have to pray that your tantrum ends before you start eating. Okay, do you think I'm making this up? This was me last month before my body shut down. We go through the room. I'm sure everyone can recount some time where you lost your mind over something that really was not that important. And then, in a small way, we can see the people in the Bible. When we read through these stories, keep in mind, when we read through the Bible, through these recorded accounts, especially the second time or more, we're kind of looking at time through God's eyes. We can now see what is being set up, what's happening, what's going to happen. We wonder why they take their eyes off God. Why are they wandering so privately? Why are they turning to other countries or man to protect them? This still happens. We seem to do the same thing. I just hope that it's in that knowledge when I place myself in that situation and start looking and start training to go through life's problems and situations more faithfully and teachably. Now, the train is turning. This theological train is going to be caboosed a little soon. But... To really understand what Jesus is saying here, to get the importance of the feeder you're sifted as wheat part, 
Let's look at verse 31 alone. And we're going to change it from the NKJV, which is the original version, New King James Version, <coughs> to the New King James Southern Version. Just make it a little more easy. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for y'all. He didn't ask just for people. He asked for all of them. That's plural. He wants all y'alls. That he may sift you. That's the singular. He's asking for Peter as the you. But I have prayed for you, you singular, Peter, that your singular faith should not fail. And then you, singular, have returned to me and strengthened your brethren. Now you, Peter, you wanted this role of lead disciples. You got it. In fact, I changed your name to Peter, which means rock. Now you're the target. Now you're the target of the enemy. Let's take a look and, like I said, put ourselves in Peter's shoes and the other disciples' shoes. Let's start with the other disciples. He asked for all of us, and we prayed for Peter alone. The guy who jumps out of a perfectly good boat. This is the guy you prayed for, not the rest of us. Well, what about Peter? He asked to sift through who? And you said no, right? Well, you, you're praying for me. No fire from heaven, no legions of angels, no just, hey, not a chance. Nope. He's still on Peter. But he has to walk that walk. Because Peter had gotten in a fight. Admittedly, not 100% probably knowing what he had asked for. But think about this. When you enter the fight, you want to take fire. You're a soldier, but you're not deployed to the front lines. You really have no fear of getting shot at. Because you're not in the fight. But when we aggress the position, we take fire. That's our job as the church. Because we do not fight against flesh and blood. Paul tells us that. We are to rescue everybody. There is no person on the face of the earth that is our enemy. They are merely as hostages to the enemy. And we are to save them. Pray for them. Seek them. They're POWs in the end. We have to get them out of Satan's annoying overlord. Now the theological caboose is pulled open. This is back to the point. In case you forgot about the original question that I was asking, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? That's where we're at. Yes, we've made it that far. And no, I'm not going to run over. Or tired. Not tired. So, it's the disciples. Jesus says, do you love me? Agape. Peter's reply is, you know that I love you. Fire. He doesn't love them with that. He loves them brotherly or endurally with an elderly emotion. Jesus gives a command, feed my lambs. Let's look at this again. Feed. Husto. That word means to give food. Herd or tend. To cause to eat and to tend to them eating. This is in Luke 4. This makes sense in the sense of feed makes generally feed sense, but there's going to be something more. He then goes with five. Jesus is no longer referring to animals or other people, merely the church. Peter's being missional. We need the church and then lambs. This is baby lambs, little lambs, lambs that can't actually defend or even care for themselves. That's what he has just called the church. But remember, the church kicks off on Pentecost. It hasn't come yet. And it's still very young. So it will need a leader here on earth to shepherd them so that they are safe in their doctrine. 
of Jesus in our relationship, much like he did with the disciples. So Jesus asked Peter again. The Bible tends to say a second time. The question is a little different. Jesus won't ask the comparative. He doesn't say, please. He just says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? But again, Jesus uses agape. Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Philo. And Jesus gives a new command, tend my sheep. The tend is the same word as feed. And if you count carefully, it means to bring to pasture. We're now able to wander a little bit. Sheep, these are now adult sheep. They can return. Much like fathers are to lead sons and daughters, Jesus is being asked to bring the church up as a mature Peter will now lead them to food. He doesn't have to give them anything. Kind of like the old adage, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. But the third question is different still. We see Peter through his answers and actions. He's not getting the differences quite yet. If the Holy Spirit hasn't indwelled him, Pentecost hasn't come. Peter's still Peter who jumps out of boats. He's not the Peter who will go out and preach to the 3,000 people and save them and ask them to get beat joyfully to sacrifice and self-denial. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. This time, Jesus has used Philo. Peter has used ask you a question. Do your homework on this. But is it that the two agape are that he is to lead as God? He says, until the church is old enough and strong enough to learn to make their own decisions. Remember how Paul said, I feed you with milk. I wish that I feed could feed you with meat. I still feed you with milk, talking about their understanding of the scriptures and the doctrine. Here's what Jesus is saying. Once they're old enough, once they've matured enough, they can lead themselves and start growing on their own as their own herd of sheep. Is that when he will take them? That's something you'll have to decide, but it's something to think about. His third commandment, again, is feed. That's the first two, teach them. And sheep, the adult sheep. So now we've kind of gone full circle. They're now old enough that no longer does he have to give them the ingredients all made. He doesn't have to lead them to where they need. They can now find it, collect their needs, and cook. In other words, you are now theologically strong enough to keep your doctrine safe, to go out and teach others, to lead your own herd. Now what in the world does this have to do with Pentecost? We see that Jesus takes Peter. He takes him from fisherman to disciple to the rock of the world. Peter takes the church from lamb to sheep. So get ready, parents, because now it's time for you to focus down on Jesus, especially fathers. In Matthew 18, 6 and 7, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom an offense is caused. There are two types of millstones. 
bigger ones and smaller ones. This is the big hellcat. In other words, a couple hundred pounds until they come around your neck. From the depths of the sea, it's challenges the deepest of our oyster depths. In other words, you're not coming back. Jesus is protective of his children. We should be too. If you think that's not stated, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. Faith is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty strong statement. So how do we look at our children? Well, that's in the Old Testament. Psalm 127, 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, if he is the man, he has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. God was the one who intended us to have children. God was the one who intended us to raise our children, not only as parents, but as fathers, in the ways according as God wants, to God. And in Proverbs 22.6, it says, If we train up a child in the way he should go, then when he is old, he will not depart from it. This would cause all of our children to not only be strong Christians, but cultural warriors. Instead, we've allowed Satan through the use of the media, schools, peer pressure, even our churches, to somewhat indoctrinate our children into spiritual ways because we're more concerned about what people think and offending people than actually telling them the truth. And this is happening right now. And our children are not the first generation of this attack. Regardless of how old you are, look at how far we as a people have fallen from God when you were a child. This is a long-term attack. And it has happened and is happening on our watch. If we truly raised our children in a way that it was a godly home, each would be an arrow in our quiver that we could send out in their direction to kill an enemy of God. Now I said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not shooting people. We're shooting false doctrine, rumors, false teaching, their beliefs. You see, when they fly straight, they eat and speak with their enemy in the gate. They hit them where they are. They don't conform to society. They conform to God. There's a reason the word sinner is used for one who made mistakes. It's an archery term, and it means to fall short of the mark or miss the mark. In fact, in an archery competition, when the archer would fire, the judge, if it didn't hit the bullseye, would yell, sinner, and no one was offended. It just meant you missed the mark. It's meant to irritate. It's not disqualifying, but it is time to arm ourselves with our children. For too long, we have outsourced the teaching of our children to our schools and even to Sunday schools. Now, Sunday schools are great, but it's our job as parents to teach our children the ways of God, not a Sunday school teacher who will see your kid one or two hours a week and make it work. Sunday school enforces the teaching of truth, and it gives them a social group of like-minded individuals. Now, the stats are very scary for children who grow up in single-parent homes. It's like trying to hunt with a bow that doesn't have an arrowhead and trying to hit success. It's got to go down. When we don't teach our children to stand on the Bible, we are allowing Satan to give us nerf guns. We're shooting arrows with no arrowheads on them. They bounce off. We can't for the life of us wonder why our children are falling, why our society is falling. 
the word of God, the only offensive weapon listed by Paul is the word, the Bible. But he doesn't use the word that we think. He doesn't use a six-foot broad sword that William Wallace is swinging around in that room. He uses the word machaira, which the Roman dagger of 12 inches long is the closest combat weapon. The enemy has pressed against you to the point that you can no longer go any further. Now it's a defense. They used the machaira. Because if you plunge something 12 inches into something, you're going to hit something that is important. And that's what they used it for. But just giving our children the word isn't enough. Because then they're all offense. You have to also give them the shield, the faith, and allow them to learn to develop the shield. If not, all they have is the machaira, the close-range engagement. But today's schools, society, media, and especially colleges, they're firing from afar and up close. And they're not ready for the reality because we haven't trained them. You see, the shield is structured with faith. The shield that Paul describes is a word that is only used in this place in the Bible. It's the only place. Now, everybody listening is most likely sitting down. And if I say, I need a chair, that's the root word. You don't know if I'm talking about the chair you're sitting on, the chair in your car, the folding chair, the lawn chair, the recliner. They're all chairs. Shield is a root word for door in Paul's case. And what the Romans would have heard that we missed, the root word is that when we lift up or pick up our shield of faith, we are closing the door to attack from the enemy. Those fiery darts are exactly what the Bible says Satan uses to tempt us too. But when we allow our children to put down the shield, we're opening doors to attack. We also have to teach them to care for their shield, to sharpen their machaira, and by doing so, we are attacking their enemy. This is Father's Day coming. This is when our children will look to us the most. This is when we should also show them that we look to them. You see, in Rome, a soldier was given a shield, each one. A shield measured roughly four feet long and two and a half feet high. Plywood was covered with several layers of leather. In order to correctly care for your shield, you had to anoint it every day with oil, or it would become brittle and prone to battle. We have to anoint our shield of faith every day with the Word of God. But an interesting fact, when they thought they were going against the enemy that was firing fiery darts or arrows, they would actually pour water on it because the leather would absorb the water and extinguish the glory of the enemy's light. Now remember, Jesus is the living water. The Romans, when they would face an attack from a distance, say a bunch of arrows all at once, they had a special formation for that. They would close ranks, the front shields, which are already interlocked in the face. The shields behind them would come over and create almost like a roof. It was known as the turtle roof. The shields would support it. In this formation, they were virtually invulnerable. Shield or arrows, rocks, spears, it didn't matter. When they moved against one person or one body, the church could learn from this tactic. We need to close ranks. That's why we gather often, not just on Sundays, often with other likewise believers. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the coming together, even as you see the day approaching. We are one body. 
fact, the Roman fighting style was known as a phalanx. That's how they conquered everywhere. They linked shields. That means you have to link your shield of faith with other people's. There was one force attack that hit the Roman legion. Not one person fought off the attack, but all of them fought off the attack. Ones that were not being hurt because they're more worried about the letters that follow in verse or what verse we go to. We are all butchered. Different way to look at it. If you've ever watched National Geographic, when lions hunted wildebeest, they didn't go after the strong, and they didn't go after the entire herd. They went after the young and the sick. And then when they got it alone, knocked it down, clasped their jaws around their throat, and suffocated it. That is what is happening to the church. We are being cut from the herd, separated, so that we fight more against each other than against the enemy. And we are being suffocated because we are worrying about doctrinal issues that have been solved through faith alone. Jesus has promised to return and save us. As the herd, if it turned and came against the lions, they'd never be able to take a single hit. But they don't because they're scared. It's self-preservation for them. We need to stand as warriors. Jesus is coming back to save the herd. But to be a part of Jesus' herd, that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived 100% as God in spirit and 100% man in faith. Sinless life, died on the cross, not because he wanted to, but as a sacrifice because he could. He loved us that much. That was his promise. Resurrection Sunday, he came back to life. He ascended to God and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for all the bad things we do. Accept that and ask him, will be saved. And he tells us, follow him. He told Peter, follow me. We should be following Jesus and coming closer. Training our kids. Becoming a family unit. Close ranks of the church. We will still get pelted with rocks, arrows, and spears. That's just how the world works. We hated him. We shouldn't be shocked at his hatred. But we will not be defeated. Because he's promised that. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Straight up told him. He doesn't expect us to live perfect lives. He knows we can't. In fact, he saw our end even before the beginning. He knows what you're good at. He knows what you're not. He knows what you'll fail at. He knows what you won't. He just asks you to be a part of that. He doesn't want you to become like him. He has sent you. shirt on Father's Day. Best dad ever. That's not true. Every dad has a cup of fuzz or a shirt and something that says best dad ever, a world's best dad. Fathers admit it, we're not. It's our Heavenly Father. That's who we should be looking to. Yes, we take responsibility for our families. Yes, we have put in time and energy to make sure we're paying attention to our families. Father's Day? Forget about your heavenly father. Forget about the one who actually created you and loves you more than your parents and more than your kids. Just take your kids' stuff. Why? That's just not how we are. Don't cry. I have to ask myself, do I actually try to treat me the way that I lose my mind? 
been done to the dead. They don't need to go away. That's just a study. They know that they won't be found. But our Heavenly Father is more patient. He has overlooked so many more things for us. He is in that grace. We just can't see it. So thank you, Father. You are a great, great Father and the best Father. Please bow your heads. Father, we thank you for this word. Pray that it has been relayed well. I ask that we would go forth renewed and ready to move for you. The disciples were asked to flee. Until Pentecost, they ran and hid in a room. After Pentecost, your Holy Spirit indwelled them. They not only went forth, they were willfully attacked by the society that was there. They stood. They knew that the rewards that you had for all of eternity, they had the end in sight. They sneaked back to Pentecost. Please give us such grace. We have the same spirit. We were born for such a time as this. Father, you placed each and every one of us here at this time and this place. Prophetic times that the world has never seen except when you walk with us. And Lord, as we see these times, be gracious. So good and appropriate. We ask that you give us the faith to do it. Having done all, we stand. Lord, as you call and run our time, let us run. Not back down to earth. Care more about what you think than others think. Lord, let us go this day. Let us enjoy this day. Could you just arrive? Let us enjoy our family. Let us enjoy our friends. Let us enjoy our worldly fellowship. Please, don't let us forget. 